0: It's the summer of 1935. Walter Elias Disney flies to Nazi Germany to discuss the distribution of his films in the Third Reich. After his business has concluded, he continues to fascist Italy to meet privately with Benito Mussolini in Rome. Disney is treated as a guest of honor by Count Galeazzo Ciano, El Duce's Minister of Propaganda. Christmas, 1937, Reich Minister of Propaganda Joseph Goebbels gives Adolf Hitler his present, twelve Walt Disney cartoons. In his private diaries, Goebbels writes proudly of how pleased the Fuhrer is with his gift. It's April 20th, 1938. Filmmaker Leni Riefenstahl premieres her documentary, Olympia, to commemorate Hitler's 49th birthday. Walt Disney invites her to visit his studios as part of an American publicity tour. It's 1939, the eve of World War II. Swedish-born industrialist Axel Wennergren has acquired large business holdings in Nazi Germany. As a last-ditch effort to avoid war, Venergren attempts to broker peace between the Nazis and the Allies through his close friend, Hermann Göring, founder of the Gestapo and head of the Luftwaffe. His efforts of failure, Venegren is blacklisted by the Allies, and he seeks seclusion in the Bahamas. It's 1943. The war is in full swing. British Naval Intelligence dispatches a secret agent to Jamaica to investigate Venegren's possible Nazi ties. The spy's name is Ian Fleming. It's August 1945. The Third Reich has crumbled. Nazi rocket scientist Werner Von Braun, creator of the V2 rocket, is smuggled out of Germany by the United States government as part of Operation Paperclip. Werner Von Braun becomes the chief architect of the Saturn V, the rocket that sends a man to the moon. It's July 17th, 1955. Disneyland opens in Anaheim, California, to the public. The park's Tomorrowland exhibit offers visitors a glimpse of a future where man has conquered space. Disney's chief technical advisor appears on television to promote the promise of Tomorrowland. His name is Werner von Braun. It's June 1959. Vice President Richard Milhouse Nixon and his family are the guests of honor at the dedication of the Disneyland monorail, the first such train in operation in the entire Western Hemisphere. The monorail takes an unexpected second lap and Nixon is trapped on the train without Secret Service protection for an agonizing 11 minutes. It is known as the time Walt Disney kidnapped Richard Nixon. Well, thank you very much, Walt. I want to say that uh, this has really been one of the most exciting and interesting days that I've ever had. The train was designed by none other than Axel Venegren. It's November 17th, 1973. Richard Nixon delivers his infamous, I am not a crook speech from a resort located in Walt Disney World. Well, I'm not a crook. I've earned everything I've got. It's August 20th, 2013. Conspiracy expert Lee Golden is standing on the monorail platform and reads the name Axel Venegren on the dedication plaque. The names and events begin to swirl in his head. Disney, the Nazis, Operation Paperclip, Fleming, Venegren, Nixon, Disney. It all starts to come together. He emails his co-hosts at Inside Jobs. I'm that conspiracy expert. This is That Show. On this week's episode of Inside Jobs, I investigate the secret world of Walt Disney. For years, the rumor has persisted that Walt Disney was a Nazi. At the very least, a racist and an anti-Semite. The notion has indeed become a staple of American popular mythology, joining a bizarre pantheon of conspiracy theories and tall tales regarding the legendary media impresario. The theories range from believable to ludicrous. There are even some who believe that Walt Disney himself is hibernating in cryogenic freeze beneath the park, like a fallen pharaoh awaiting his rebirth. Of course, Walt Disney is buried under a modest tombstone in Glendale, California. And despite all of the innuendo and overheard anti-Semitic snipes, no one has definitively proven that Walt Disney was a Nazi, or prejudiced against anyone for that matter. By most accounts, he was a kind and gentle man. A dreamer. What is undeniable is that his Disneyland is a world of secrets, filled with clues, secret passages, hidden images, messages. It is the ultimate expression of Walt Disney's inner world, a universe on the border of humanity's past, future, and mythological identity. It's Disneyland on my birthday. As I wait for the next showing of Great Moments with Mr. Lincoln, I inspect an old model of the park. There are pictures of Walt Disney standing next to the same model as he plans the construction of his dream world. The show is over. I stare out on the forced perspective horizon of the Magic Kingdom, my eyes stretching from Walt's ideal American Main Street to Sleeping Beauty's Castle. The structure, based on the German Neuschwatzen Castle, is flanked by Thunder Mountain and Space Mountain, echoes of America's Wild West and whispers of Werner Von Braun's World of Tomorrow. For a moment, I feel like I'm inside that model. I can see Walt himself towering above the little buildings. I'm reminded of Adolf Hitler standing with Albert Speer over their model of Germania, the new German capital they were to build when they had won the war. Like Main Street USA, the avenue of splendors was to represent Hitler's vision of what a true German street should be. I think of what Hitler wanted to accomplish. The homogenization of culture a unified poetics on what was considered beautiful in art, film, architecture, and literature, defined by the vision of one man. I realize that Walt Disney wasn't a Nazi, but the accusations that he was have revealed a subtle, darker truth. Walt Disney has accomplished what Adolf Hitler attempted without firing a single shot. Walt Disney has conquered the world. It's a steamy summer night in New York. I walk through Times Square and watch the billboards dance. They are ruled by the iconography of Walt Disney, the letter D serving as the signature underneath advertisements for films, TV shows, radio stations, Broadway musicals, video games, and amusement parks. They are all owned by Disney. For a moment, the billboards remind me of the dark red, white, and black flags draped over the walls of Berlin. My eyes fall to the street below. I see Mickey Mouse, the creation of Walt Disney, standing in front of me, begging for money. For a moment, he lifts off his head and reveals a sad and broken man underneath, wearing a SARS mask. I look away, only to catch sight of another Mickey Mouse, and another, and another. I turn from the street and walk into a store. The air is cool. I see a man in a Spider-Man suit. I see a statue of Obi-Wan Kenobi. They are friendly figures to me, visions of my childhood. I remember playing with action figures of them both. I used to hold them in my hands. I used to own them. Now, Walt Disney owns them both. I return to the streets. Out-of-work artists line the walkways, a huddled mass comprised of alternatingly underwhelming and untapped talent. For a moment, they remind me of a cold and hungry Adolf Hitler selling his drawings in the streets of Vienna. He drew buildings. They draw heroes and princesses and villains, but they draw them in the vision of Walt Disney, his version. There are tables of DVDs and Blu-rays nearby. They sell Disney films. The proprietors vouch for their authenticity. Real Disney films, they say, as though it is something to be proud of. Ian Fleming never established that Axel von gren was a Nazi. Werner von Braun was never tried for war crimes for his involvement in the Nazi war machine. And no one has ever proven that Walt Disney was an anti-Semite. He is, however, the only person in the history of the world to kidnap the Vice President of the United States. As we often discover here on Inside Jobs, sometimes the truth is far more interesting than the conspiracy theory itself. For Inside Jobs, I'm Lee Golden. Thanks for listening, and follow the money. Please make sure to subscribe to Inside Jobs and rate us on iTunes. You can find us on the web at InsideJobsCast.com and on Twitter at InsideJobsCast.